Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to Peach State Pandemonium for Thursday, December 15th, 2016. This is Michael Norris along with Jerry Oates and Bobby Simmons. Uh, our uh, line producer, uh, Jay West, is still uh, still out with some uh, back issues. Uh, he is scheduled to have surgery next Thursday. Uh and he said what they're going to do is go in and put uh, concrete between or cement or something between his vertebrae to uh, relieve the pressure. And he says they're going to do it outpatient. The procedure takes about 15 minutes and recovery time and everything about two hours. So that seems pretty extensive for outpatient, but he says it's going to do. And for anybody who's ever suffered with back uh, back problems, I can tell you that's they're no fun. So yeah, that's that's, uh, that's the case with him. That's amazing. They do stuff like that. I'm telling you, it's amazing. Yeah, I'm just hoping it, it solves whatever the issue is with him because he said if this didn't work, they were going to go in and try and do something else. And once they start fiddling with your back, you know the 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 spinal column seems to be as complicated as the human body is. The spinal column seems to be the most mysterious part of all of it because it is. It I, is. I had an uncle that uh, he must have had a dozen back surgeries and they never did correct all the issues he had. But well, under the late breaking news category, I received my ear, my cauliflower alley newsletter today, and it announces the award winners for next year in Las Vegas. Uh, the Luthez Art Abrams Lifetime Achievement Award is going to go to Kevin Von Erich. Uh, the James Melby Historian Award is going to Dave Meltzer. The Men's Wrestling Award is going to Tokyo Monster Cahagas. Mike, you there? Yeah, I'm here. Never heard of them. Never heard of them. Okay, I don't, I don't no. know who this is. The men's one of the Men's I, Wrestling I Awards. I think that's uh, one of the current NWA guys in Japan. Uh. Uh, they say his name here is Paul Antone. I don't know who that is either. I don't. No, anyway. I heard of him either. Uh, Men's Wrestling Award, uh, the Cuban assassin Dave Sierra will be receiving okay. a Men's Wrestling Award. Uh, they'll name more of those. They always give two or three of those. The other two they mentioned, the Iron Mike Mazurki Award is going to go to Tully Blanchard. And the Charlie Smith Referee Award is going to the unknown Bobby Simmons. So, well, thank you. I appreciate it. Actually, actually means a little bit to means a great deal to me. Actually, since it's got Charlie's name attached to it, it's uh, uh, it'll be interesting. But anyway, that's the ones they announced. Go ahead. Go ahead. I I, the first one I don't understand, but oh, to Kevin Eric Von Eric. I was going to say uh, the referee award's the only one I even even come close to understanding, but that's not my circus, not my monkey. So yeah, <laughs> well they gave they gave that Luther 
one of the funniest lines I've ever heard at the Colorado Alley Club. Two years ago, they gave that Luthez Lifetime Achievement Award to Michael Hayes. And Jerry, Jerry Briscoe introduced him. And when he got up there to introduce him, he he, he said, would y'all please, would everybody in the room please be quiet? Now, there was 600 people in this room, and it got quiet as a church mouse. And Jerry Briscoe says, can y'all hear it? I mean, you, you know, you couldn't hear nothing. There wasn't being a sound made. And Jerry Briscoe said, y'all hear it? He said, that's Luthez turning over in his grave knowing Michael Hayes is getting an award named after him. That's the greatest thing I've ever heard. I mean, how true was that? Well, I want to say, if, if you, if you, once you get your award, since it's got, going to have your name on it and, and Smitty's name on it, now make sure you carry it around with you everywhere you go because that'll get you a, a free cup of coffee in any uh, huddle any, house. Any huddle house that I go to. <laughs> oh, man. Well, congratulations. I'm, I'm proud Thank of you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Very deserving, sir. I appreciate it. Thank you. I mean that. <laughs> yeah, that's uh came as a shock to me. I was very... Very honored. They called me a couple of weeks ago and told me about it, and didn't want me to say anything until this magazine came out. So uh, I'm I'm pleased. I'm happy. You know, most of those things don't mean anything, but I, I, and all, all kidding aside, uh, you know, we we come out of this business with a whole lot of acquaintances, and very very few we could call friends. And uh, and uh, as honorary and contrary as he is, uh, he's been a friend of mine for a long long time, and I. I appreciate him. So, I went with him today to the cemetery to visit. He went and put flowers out on his friend John Gibbs, the one we call Bogus, and his grandmothers. And uh, but it's a good thing I went with him, and he knew where they were because where they where they buried, you never would find it on your own. Yeah, sometimes they're hard to find. Man, that it's a. Uh, Cemetery's probably got ten thousand graves in it or more over where they buried. Where is it, Bob? Crestlone, out off of Marietta Boulevard here in Atlanta. Hmm. And that's not the biggest one. The biggest one in town's West Lawn or West West something or another. Out off of MLK. Ben, that thing's huge out there. Well, that one right there on Memorial Drive is not a small one. Oakland? Yeah. Yeah. I used to play hide-and-go-seek when I was a kid in there. We'd climb that wall and we'd play till the guards caught us and they'd chase us out. I'm trying to remember you and I talked. I'm sorry. Go ahead, ahead. No, I just I wondered how things I, were I, down I, in Tybee. Uh, it's real quiet. Real quiet. Well, that's a good thing, I guess. Is it cold? Yep. Yeah, it's going to be cold here tomorrow, but here. It's going to be in, the, I think, the 30s tonight. Yeah, High tomorrow, to, like 55 or something. I so think it goes cold. to 25 here tonight. It only got to like 44 here today. Yeah. It was cool. The sun was out, but it was cool. Do they do anything uh, 
Christmas wise down there along the beach, Jerry? Uh, they had a. They've already had the Christmas parade, and I, I don't know what they'll do. You know, some of the places will have something. I guess. I don't know what all. I they would do. imagine some of those older neighborhoods in Savannah probably are well known for decorating. I mean, there was one particular one uh, in Midtown Mobile that uh, everybody went to and drove through every year. Because the whole neighborhood. That's the way it is here. A couple, elderly couple, they do this. It's unbelievable. People just flock to it. It's, it's, it's beautiful. A lot of work, you know, to do that. They had a so show on yeah, TV that, uh, that Battle of Christmas Lights. Did, anybody, did you see that, anybody? Uh-huh. I watched that. It was, it was on for two hours, two consecutive Mondays. And they they showed they featured four homes per hour, all over the country where these people. I mean, some of these people they just spend thousands and thousands of dollars. And now that now that you can computer computerize the lights where they they synchronize to music and do it. I mean, it was just unbelievable what some of these people do. And the winner got fifty thousand dollars. And they asked him, "I said, what are you going to do with the money?" They said, "We're going to buy more lights." I mean, just crazy. Well, they must have plenty of money then. I guess so, and plenty of time. Hmm. I think of Chevy Chase and Christmas Vacation with all those lights and everything. <laughs> Who yeah, was it? Uh, Tim Allen on Tool Time. Remember when he would plug his house up and <laughs> cause airplanes to crash and stuff? <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, we weren't on the air. Uh, well, no, it's, well, since we've been on the air last week, we lost another member of our fraternity. Um was not all that well-known here in the States, uh, other than he spent some time in the Northeast in the early 60s and in uh, the Tennessee area in the mid-60s, but he was a bigger star in Australia than uh, for the majority of his career, and that was a gentleman by the name of Mario Milano. I know that name. 82 years old. Hmm. But, uh, yeah, he worked worked over there for Barnett and Doyle in, uh, in Australia and made his, wound up making his home in Sydney. And uh, that's where he was when he passed away. There's there's a obituary column in this magazine. This little cauliflower alley thing. Let me get to it right quick. It listed it listed a bunch of people, but I, I you know these are people that probably were members of Cauliflower Alley that 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 uh, I don't know. Some of them I've never heard of. So there's not. Let's see. Uh, Christian Abel. Don't know no. who that is. D.C. Dillinger, Scott Williams, uh, Danny Koss, Kurt Otterholt, uh, of course, Mr. Fuji back in August, Lord Little Danny Koss I've said, heard about, but he, he wrestled under a different name, but I he was, I think I want to say he was in the 80s sometime. Uh, 
Lord Littlebrook back in September, Moose Morowski back in September, of course. Uh, Don Bass is mentioned here. Sterling Brewer is mentioned. Uh, Dream Warrior, Mel McGee, I've never heard of him. Mm-hmm. Um, he mentions El Mongo. Frenchy Martin. Uh, yeah. Ed Francis and some guy here I can't pronounce his name. Tamayo. Oh, yeah, Tamayo Soto, Joe Soto. Tamayo Soto. Yeah. Do they list him as Tamayo Soto? Yes. Yeah. Alberto Tamayo was his real name, but out of the, the dozens of names he used. That was all the ones they listed. That's, I think that's about, about it, because like I said, Mario passed away last week. So they've probably already gone to print before that happened. But yeah, do yeah, they do I'm anything sure. out at Cauliflowers like we used to do at the Gulf Coast, to like a tribute? Of- you know, they did. They did for several years, and then they quit because there's so many names. Normally, yeah. what they do is they have they have a wrestling show on Sunday night and Monday night. It's it's free. Anybody wants to go, and it's anybody that wants to work can call out there and get booked. And when I say work, I use that term very loosely with some of them, but. They usually have a, they've got a video screen in there, and usually at some point during the night, either on Sunday or Monday, they will run a tribute to everyone that's passed away during the year, and they put their picture up, and they, they, uh, you know, list their name and so forth. And they will, uh, they generally have uh, Jason Sanderson, who's the chaplain of the Cowboy Alley. He'll usually uh, uh, make some comments, you know, uh, during the during the award ceremony, but. They they don't read the list like we do. Hmm. And last year was the first time I ever had to read that list. I can certainly understand why they don't want to read it. You know, always felt bad for Bill Bowman when he had to do it every year. Oh, yeah. Not only reading it, but trying to pronounce some of the names. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Well, tonight, gentlemen, I wanted to uh, take a look at uh, uh, bookers and how various uh, bookers and their personalities differed, uh, made the territories different when they were running the show. And uh, you guys are certainly more familiar with with how bookers work than than I ever was. All I got was, you know, this is who you're working with, and he's going over. So <laughs> that's all I ever heard. So, uh, but I question I have like got more. <laughs> but um, as a referee, what kind of leeway did you have as far as I know you couldn't necessarily change the the main of um, the finish in a main event, but for you know the opening matches or whatever, how much leeway did a did a you know an experienced referee have as far as you know in a spot show? In a spot show, if it was if we felt like it was too hot or it was going to cause a riot, which you can sense that sometimes, we had the ability to you know that we could change it, but we better have a darn good reason for doing it, but. You know, other other than that, we just did what we were supposed to do. 
Uh, that was another question I had about spot shows. Now, I know you ran spot shows from time to time. Smitty um, would run the spot shows. Did, were you guys given the finishes, or did you decide the finishes on your own? No, we were given the finishes. We were told. Depending on, sometimes as a referee would give them to me. Tom would, you know, Tom or Ole or whoever, they would they would uh, tell me what they wanted. I'd just relay the message when I got to the town. Uh, here in Georgia, most of the time, when we had an assistant booker, most of the time one or the other would be in the towns, even if it was a spot show. Um, and, and we also had, uh, you know, with, with Mr. Ward's towns, you always had Ralph or, or Leon or or somebody there. Did they do his booking for him? I don't think Ralph ever did. Leon did. Okay. That's an interesting question. That's a good question, Jerry. And and, and I'll, I've never asked this. Did it bother you taking a finish from Ralph, or did he ever give you one? Sure he did. Did it bother you taking them from him? No. Me neither. Really I mean, did. I never, I never minded. But I know some guys were, some guys were really, really, really bothered by that said you know ralph had never been in a ring he didn't know you know all he knew was you know what he'd been told or what somebody had showed him uh but i never had a problem with either one of them but leon of course being a referee and and uh leon came up with some pretty good ideas for mr ward's sales over the years you know they, they i'm sure it was discussed in that office in columbus i mean you know oh yeah so no i, I you know nobody i ever worked for i had a problem with you know i mean I was there for what I was supposed to do, and, you know, that's what they wanted, that's what they got. So, you know, I I know some guys did, but where that got you, I don't know. Probably out the door. Nothing, or it just made you feel better about yourself, you know, if you yeah. convince so, yourself, and, you know. But, you know, talking about <laughs> bookers, I mean, there, there, was, there, was, there were some guys that were, you know, unbelievable, and... You know, we can say it in our day or whatever, in our era or whatever you want to call it. There was so much that gun good talent, you know. I know when I started in Florida, Louis Tillet was the booker down there. And, my gosh, I mean, he, I thought he was a good booker myself. I got, probably didn't like him, but but he, uh, he did a good job down there. Yeah, I, I thought he did. And, yeah, he always had a pretty know, good reputation as far as booking went. Yeah, he, I know he, I, booked, I, I, he booked a lot of different territories from one time to another. He never worked here as a booker, but he was here as an assistant booker for a while. And he did. He had some good ideas. I never. I always had got along with him well. And let me tell you something. He was one good piece of talent. I'm yes. telling you. I mean, he... He 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 could he could he knew what we were doing. I mean, he was very good at what he did. And you know, you, it's, it's like it's, if you want to say who was the best booker, that would be like who's the was the greatest quarterback or the best running back. You can't. I don't think you can. Territories were, you know, just unbelievable. Back it then. depended you know, on the place and the time. Because some yeah, bookers were, you know, Buck Robley was a tremendous booker for Watts. Made a lot of money down there. Money. Oh, my goodness. I mean, just, he was so talented. 
he was so talented, you know. And he came here and couldn't do nothing. Uh, it's amazing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't know if that holds true for a lot of them. You know, they happen to maybe be in the right spot at the right time with the right talent. Um, one of the best I was ever around and worked for was Tom. And he was here a long time doing it. Yep. A long time. And I thought he he was as he was as good as anybody that I ever worked for and and his I've never seen anybody have as much self control as him. Never. But the best the best finished man I was ever around, who do you think that was? Garibaldi. He was one, but I'm talking about a guy that it was like laying out a battle plan. Eddie Graham? Exactly. I've never been around anybody like him ever in my life. Now, what kind of just straight-out booker he was down there, uh, he always had a booker, you know. It was Leo when I started, and I don't know who all else was there after that. After I left, because I never really went back down there, except the spots go here and there. But he was he was unbelievable. And Garibaldi, you know, a lot of people didn't agree with a lot of stuff Leo did, but Leo was like ahead of his time. Yes. You know. He I've was, heard several people say that. I never worked for him. I met him. You'd have loved him. I met him at Cauliflower Alley one year. Uh, but... He John Walker spoke very highly of him. He, and he told me one time, he said, you know, he said Leo's problem was <clears throat> is the people that he worked for didn't have his vision. Like Leo was not putting a top guy on TV and letting letting somebody slip over him every once in a while. He said, you've got to make these people, you know, he said Leo's philosophy was you've got to make people human. They can't be robots. They can't be mechanical. He said, "If if they think if people think they can't be beat, then why buy a ticket?" Right. Hold on a minute, guys. You guys go ahead. Let me catch this other call. I thought it was halftime there. Well, the band had took the field. I thought they already <laughs> kicked off. I didn't know what was going. <laughs> yeah, they. Yeah, I think Leo Leo was one of those people that was a visionary, and, and a lot of people just didn't didn't get it. They didn't. They didn't get it, and uh, he 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 knew what he was doing. He knew what he was doing. Well, I know I know he was a booker because he even refereed the match. But but and and I've talked to people. I remember this. I was a kid, and I remember this just like it was yesterday, when Tim Woods got his finger bit off that Wednesday night in Columbus. He was booked against Kaninsky for the title, and they had been building that thing for months, and. The finish he used that night was, for about 40 minutes, Timmy just ate him up, almost beat him, false finish, false finish. And after 40 minutes, Kanitsky went after that finger. There you go. And Leo stopped the match. And and he took all the heat for stopping the match. Timmy never gave up. And then, of course, you come right back on TV, and, and, and you know Timmy says, I had him, I never gave up. You know, and he apologized. He told you know Leo, I apologize. I understand it was for my benefit. 
great finish. Didn't hurt either one of them. Looked to return a few months later and came right back and did great business again. But that that's just that was but, a common sense finish, I called it, because it just made and sense. You, and you remember seeing him as a kid, right? He yes. always refereed the main event. Yes, sir. And that's, yes, where, sir. that's what a greater greater place for a booker. Mm-hmm. Now he would change things. You know. Yeah. And he of course he had the right to do that. I mean he he he, he was very smart. He a very nice man. I enjoyed being around him. Uh I enjoyed working for him out in Dallas, of course out in that territory. It was it was it was weird. I think it was three different territories in one. Bosch did yeah. his thing. Uh Joe Blanchard did his thing and then in Dallas it was it was Leo. So it it was it was like working three different territories. It, 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 I wish they'd have just let him run the whole thing. Of course, Bosch, Bosch knew what he was doing too. He had his yeah. own system and it worked. You know, yeah. it was more. Uh, Houston was the closest thing to St. Louis that I'd ever been to because you know he would bring in outside guys. You know, he'd bring in Mascaras and he'd bring right. in Wahoo from Florida, and you know he he had his own way of doing things, and, and it worked, and it worked. You know, so. And what a nice! I don't know if you ever had the pleasure of meeting him, Bobby. He was a never nice did, man. never did. He was a superman. He, I heard everybody. I, I've never heard a bad word about him, and everybody's ever told me he's the best payoff man they ever worked for. He was, and if anybody tells you anything different, they're lying. But I worked for him. He was. I he met was, his his wife, his widow, and his son, uh, who is blind, comes to uh, comes to call fire every alley every year. I've had the pleasure to meet them, so. That's the first I've ever heard he had a blind son. Yes, he's he has a son that's blind. I did not know that. You didn't meet him, Bobby. He one there was um, sometime eighty eighty one. I don't know why he was in Atlanta, or what they were doing, but he did. Uh, he uh, sat in with uh, Gordon and did commentating. And then uh, he acted like uh, they did something, and then he acted like an NWA official and, and changed a match around or something during one of the TV tapings. Uh, I, I missed that when I wasn't there. I want to say it was 80 or 81. might have even been 79, but it was in that, that time frame. Yeah. I'd... I don't know what that he was been in one of the Saturdays for, I decided but, uh, not to go to TV. But they, uh, Gordon introduced him, and you know, and he said he was representing the NWA and all this, and you know, told about his his background. Of course, he was a wrestler for many years. Um, what was he Paul wrote a book that I would love to find. I'm sorry. What's that? Was Paul from Houston? Was he up? Was he from Texas? Or I don't know if that's where he was from originally or not. I don't don't think he was. Um. But he was, um, I can't remember who had Houston before he bought it, but he worked with the guy forever and ever. It wasn't wasn't Macklemore. That's who had uh, Dallas. I can't think of who the the Houston promoter was for so many years before Bosch got it. But, shoot, Bosch was still wrestling in the 70s. He would he would do uh, 
you know, come back and do special um, challenge matches or something with a particular, you know, a heel or a manager or something. He was from New York City. I remember reading that. Now, he was a he was a lifeguard on uh, <clears throat> Staten Island or somewhere when he was growing up, before he got in the wrestling business. But yeah, he was from New York. But he uh, he wrote a book that I would love to uh, love to find. It's called uh, "Where'd You Get Those Ears, Boy." <laughs> he has some, believe me, like this. <laughs> but um, now did he use bookers or did he just pretty much plan his cards himself? You, you know, that's a good question. I, I was going to get into that. I worked some territories. I never did know who the booker was. <laughs> I was going to ask you no, about really. the various territories you worked, like Kansas City. <laughs> who was booking for Geigel out there? I guess it was Geigel when I was there. And then later on, after we left and my brother went back out there, I know Lynn Denton was doing the booking. So Ted and I, I would, I would fly back and forth every week. We worked with him and uh, Tony, and he was he was handling things. And then Buck took over out there and did a heck of a job, a real good job. I mean, houses that they'd never seen before. But, you know, a lot of your... And I use this term loose, you know. I don't. I mean, I don't use it loosely. I mean, when I say great workers, I never saw great workers that were good bookers. I never experienced that. I I didn't. I mean, it's like I think the closest would be, you know, Dusty. But then Dusty kind of would lose sight of things. Right. You know, he he would. but he would be the closest I'm about, that I I'm know. I'm talking about showing up great workers now, not growing money. I'm talking about showing up great workers. I mean, yeah. Uh, I think Harley booked some here in Georgia. I don't know how he did. I think yeah, he, he was a booker when I first went to work for Barnett. Yeah, and he booked Florida for a while, too. How long did he stay here as a booker, Bobby? I went over there in November of 74, and he was probably gone by middle of January or February. But he'd been there several months prior to you going back over there. Hadn't yeah, he had been there for a while because they uh, they were, uh, you know, I'm not sure what the, the agreement was, but, you know, it's when Harley left, Tom came back in. But, you know, it, it, it's, it's, to me, it, it's like, Great baseball players were never good managers. Yeah. Or great football players were never great head coaches. Well, I, I've you got might, the You might can put Tom rule. and Jody in that category of great workers that good, were good bookers. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, you know, Jody, Jody, again, I never worked anywhere where he was an actual booker, but he was an assistant booker here for a while, and Jody had a lot of great ideas. I mean, he, you know. But Tom was the exception. Yeah. I'll throw another name at you, Jerry, Bob Armstrong. I never worked for him. Yeah, he booked uh, Fuller the whole time, Fuller, that I was around, um, 
full of it. He only used two bookers, and you could always tell the difference. Bob would book part of the year, and then Robert Fuller would book. And when Robert Fuller would book, the the, the uh, emphasis would change to tag teams. The main event, you know, hot angles would be around tag team matches, and, and Robert was usually involved in it. Whereas when Bob booked, it was usually single stuff. There's and the no, Carolinas, no, no, you know, go ahead, Bob. I was just going to say, Robert, Robert was, a, you know, Robert did all right booking. Uh, you know, Robert was doing very well down there booking along the coast and doing different things. He came in here as a booker and, and you know, didn't, didn't do well. Don't you think a lot of it is is the talent they bring in? I mean, you look at what he brought in, what Rob brought in. He brought in Plowboy Mm -hmm. (laughs) to work with the Freebirds. And then uh, not only that, they were working with the Andersons. Yeah, you know, I mean, well, I've said this a lot on here before, but I really mean Atlanta was a different animal from any other territory in the country or in the world. Because of the TV, it was a different. It was just, I, I don't know. You had to think different with that thing, and I think that got a lot of them too. Well, did you guys Gary notice it? Pickle... Go ahead, Bobby. I'm sorry. I was going to say Gary Hart came in as, a, as an assistant, and Gary did okay for a while, and then of course. With Gary, you never knew what you were going to get because you didn't know what planet he was going to be on. Um, you're talking about what referees know and bookers and how they talk to them. We did the deal. We shot an angle on Atlanta TV between Wrestling 2 and the Spoiler, and it ended up where guys hit the ring, pulled them apart. I asked him before I went to the ring, I says, tell me, do I raise two's hand when it's all over? And he said, sure you do. And I went, okay. And when I raised his hand and got back in the dressing room, he was just, he was blasting me and hollering at me for raising his hand. He said, you killed the whole thing. And I said, no, you did. And he looked at me and I said, I asked you before I went to the ring, do I raise his hand? And you told me yes. So, you know, but, uh, yeah, that's, a lot of guys came in here that uh, just, it never clicked here like it did in other places. Well, you mentioned well, Gary Hart, and that kind of leads to what I was going to say. Do you, do you guys notice that a lot of bookers or assistant bookers or whatever would would bring in, you know, guys that they work with a lot? And in Gary, Gary Hart's case, it seems like everywhere he went, Jardine was there, Lewin was there. Kabuki. Kabuki. Well, and in Robles' case, nearly everywhere he went, Brody showed up. Exactly. So... Bobby, from the time he told you to raise his hand the first time, mm-hmm. and you did, what transpired from that first conversation to the last one? There could have been anything that went on. Could have been there. anything. Could have been anything. I mean, really. I mean, that's the way it was, you know, and it was just. And then uh, another booker, I don't know if he could have booked anywhere else, but George Scott in Charlotte. I, I don't know if it was it was the right time, the right place. Yep. Whatever you know, but that was that was that was a machine all unto itself. And I'm talking about they ran three towns a night. 
across how many states? <laughs> yeah, and they drew. Yep. I mean, you go you go to a spot show, and you, I mean, it was it was like I mean, you just you just couldn't believe what was going on. It was the it was the timing was perfect. It was perfect. Well, that's a good example of of a booker changing the whole personality of a territory because you think when before George Scott took over, it was it was George Becker and or and or Rip Hawk, and Charlotte was a well known tag team. I mean, everything was tag teams. Hawk and Hanson, you know, the the Scott brothers, uh, Weaver and Becker. You know the infernos. Everything was geared toward that, and then when George Scott took over, he brought in Valentine and uh, started changing it around to where it was a singles territory. And well, I think that made a made a lot of a lot of difference as far as how they were able to run all those towns too. Another guy don't get a lot of credit was Dean Anderson. Who was that, Bobby? Yeah. Gene Anderson. You know, Gene went yeah. into the office as, as George's assistant. Gene had a lot of good ideas that, you know, got carried out by George, but, you know, he had a lot of great ideas too. And and he, you know, George came here as a booker. I was going to ask you, how did that work out? It didn't work. He wasn't here very long. The only thing he did that was positive for this territory was he brought Roddy Piper in here. Uh, and Piper was like something no, we had nobody had ever seen here, and uh, so that was a good move. But yeah, he did, it was just he never clicked here. Well, I, in my opinion, and I, from again, I wasn't as involved with him as you were, but I always thought Ole was a good booker. I thought he had a lot of great ideas. He did. Ole was just. A lot of things Ole did, and they were good ideas. He had a lot of good ideas. I'm not belittling that point. A lot of things you see that Ole got credit for was Ronnie West ideas. Ronnie West was yeah, an assistant true. booker for probably, I don't know, 10 years off and on here. And Ole never come to the office. He worked from home. only time you'd talk to Ole was if he called, if he needed something, or if on Fridays, he would call and give us the TV for Saturday so that we could get the formats typed up and those sort of things. Ronnie was in the office every day. And a lot of those things that was being carried out and things that was being done, Ronnie was setting them in motion, but he never got credit for it. But, you know, I don't care who who the booker was. You know, after a while, Tom's longevity was awesome for me. You know, he had great ideas. He knew how to talk to people. And but I mean, how many ideas can one man have? Tom also Unless, listened. <laughs> exactly. He would ask he, you, "What do you think about this?" You know, or I mean, I heard him do it a lot of times with guys, and, and see, I think that's you, part of it too. And if you're smart, you listen. Yeah, some guys may come in that really did well in some other places and come in and. You know, they may have an idea that you hadn't even thought of. You may go for it, you may not. You know, I mean, 
I mean, that to me that that made as much sense as anything. Who's the worst booker you ever worked for, Jerry? I don't know if you'd really say that somebody was worse than somebody else, but somebody didn't make sense. Uh, well, since you asked me, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you my honest opinion. It was Geigel. He'd been there for how many years? Yeah. You know, and it was... He just... He was always like on the edge of really doing something... Not, I'm not talking about me. It was, the territory was on the edge of really doing something good, and it was just... I don't know. I don't know how much space old Pat O'Connor had. You know, I don't... I knew Pat took care of St. Louis for much... I, 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 his ideas one, you know, I, that, that's my opinion. You know, you ask me, and that's I'm well, give you an honest answer. We had the best and the worst. To me, is the same guy, and this this may shock you. <laughs> The best and the worst was Tom Ernesto. And the reason I say that is this. When we were working for Gunkel, there near the end, and I don't know if this was, I'm sure it was on purpose, but I could see things declining. I could see talent that that you wouldn't use on your worst night that he was booking on these cards. And, you know, I don't know how much of this was he had been gotten to, what the deal was with Barnett, what was in the wind. Nobody, nobody knows, and I'm not going to cast dispersions because I don't know. I'm just saying, is is whether it was the talent he could get to, or the thing, it just things really went down there at the end. But then, boom, you get over to the other other place when he comes in, they started popping. So, that was always my thought. Yeah, me too. The hero there, and that's whatever he. But I don't, I don't know. Don't business. care. That's just don't care. Don't I'll care. tell you another thing too, and, and and of course, I was not around him as much as you, and I know I know he I know he took care of you, but a guy that was really hard for me to get along with sometimes was Bill Watts, because Jim would call Watts every time Ole decided to go to the sawmill or say he wasn't coming back or whatever. It was always Bill he would call in just to fill in the gap till he could get a new booker. And uh, of course, Bill and Barnett was like mixing oil and water. You know, they would they would really right. get at each other, and it was it was kind of difficult. You know, I was caught in the middle of that. But uh, Watts was a was a stockholder, so he was a boss too. <clears throat> and there I was sitting in the middle, and uh, so yeah, I had some difficult times with him. I liked Bill though; I always got along with him. But yeah, that, mean, was, just, was, that was a tough place. Bill had his way, and that's that's the way it was. You know, and like I've said on this program many, many times, I enjoyed working for him. If you did what you were supposed to do, there was no nothing. I mean, you know, I, I he did everything he said he was going to do for me before I got there, and he did, and I, I can't say anything, you know. But I, I can understand that situation. And 
let me ask you, since you brought it up about the sawmill. Mm-hmm. Did you ever see it? Only sawmill? No. Did anybody ever see it? Uh, I don't think so. It worked, though, didn't it? Yes, it did. Yes, it did. So, yeah, he would, uh, he had the sawmill and he did something else. There was something else, too, he, he did, or he said he did. I don't remember what that one was, but there was two things. Oh, you brought up Watts. <clears throat> Out in, uh, when he had uh, Louisiana, did he actually do the booking himself, or did he have somebody? I know Grizzly was in there somewhere. I guess Grizzly just, did he take care of the towns? Did he actually do any booking, or what was what was Grizzly's position? He, he took care of the towns for Bill. When I was, when I'm not talking about when I was there, Bill did the booking. He did all the booking when I was there, and then like because I know he used he used Ernie Ladd periodically as a booker, right? But it it it, it never drew the money that it had ever drawn until Robley got there, and I was already gone. He took that junkyard dog when I was I was there. I hadn't been there long, and this guy. Showed up in Shreveport one night. His name was Sylvester Ritter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sylvester lasted maybe there a week, and I think Robley was the inventor of the junkyard dog. He changed his body when he was there. Sylvester Ritter, he 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 was out of shape, no shape to him, none whatsoever, nothing. He lasted maybe two weeks. But it, it was no longer. What year was that, Jerry? When I was there. Yeah. I was there in '77. Uh, okay. Because right at when he left Louisiana, he came to Mobile. Ritter did. You remember? He was calling himself. He was calling himself Syl- Sylvester D. Ritter. Now happened to be the person booking at the time was Grizzly Smith. He was booking for Lee. I did not know and that. He, yeah, he came in, um, and they 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 built him up. Uh, they teamed him with uh, with Grizzly, and and they were they were doing a deal with uh, had a program with uh, Alpha and Sika, the Islanders. And uh, but they were they were building you know building uh, Ritter up as or D Ritter as they called him there, Mobile. As a former Green Bay Packer and all this other stuff, and and uh, he was there again, like you, he was there maybe three weeks. Yeah, he just. And then he went, but I tell you that the whole story about the junkyard dog. Robley may have come up with the the push on that, but that's not where the name came from. When he left, uh, when he left Mobile, he went to Knoxville. To work for Fuller, and uh, Norvell Austin was up there. Well, Norvell Austin was already using the name Junkyard Dog. Um, was it Knoxville? Or was it Nashville? He may have may have been Goulas. He knows Goulas. He went to work for Goulas, 
and he was called Leroy Rochester up there. And Norvell was there, and they left uh, Nashville and went to work for Fuller. And they went in as the Junkyard Dogs as a tag team called the Junkyard Dogs. Of course, the name coming from the Jim Croce thing. Well, from there, uh, Ritter went to Calgary. And that's where he really got in shape and everything. And he was called Big Daddy Ritter up there. And uh, I don't know how they got him. uh, Well, Jake Roberts was also up there at the time. So they both came back down into Louisiana. And when uh, JYD first hit Louisiana, he was a heel. And he was feuding with uh, Charlie Cook, who was there at the time. And then all of a sudden he turned babyface and started teaming with Robley, and that's when it really took off. They, uh, they When they first started teaming, Junkyard Dog would bring a, bring a wheelbarrow to the ring full of junk, old motor parts and stuff like that. And when he was teaming with Robley, Robley would sit on top of the, that junk in the wheelbarrow and, and JYD would push him to the ring in that wheelbarrow. And, they, of course, they'd play the Bad, Bad Leroy Brown song. But that's that's how all that kicked off. But that's where that name came from, because Norvell started using the Junkyard Dog name in Tennessee in probably the mid-'70s. And I had never, I never did see him again until I was going back and forth out there. That, that's when I saw him again. And, when I, you know, I'd seen pictures of him. I, I couldn't believe it was the same person. Couldn't believe it. Yep, you right. He was he was he was big, but he was you know fleshy. Yeah, he, he was. Wasn't, uh, he wasn't built like he was when he became JYD. And you talk about somebody that took went a long way with not a whole lot of you know a limited amount of talent, but his charisma got him over. My Lord, he was he was an absolute hero in Louisiana. When he left, when he left Louisiana, where, where did he go? Did he ever draw any money other than there? I'm talking about drawing serious money. He came. He passed through Georgia just about the time I was getting out because my last TV show, he was here. Because he he came in and was working with uh, Scott Irwin, Super Destroyer, because they had had a program in Louisiana. But I don't know how long he lasted here. When was that a band? 82. You know where he started? Where he actually got his break and, and got into the business? No idea. And, you know, he was from Charlotte or from up that way somewhere. And when uh, when George Becker left uh, Crockett's and tried to run opposition and was using guys like Billy Hines and uh, Buzz Tyler and people like that. That's where Ritter broke in. Well, that's interesting. I never knew that. Mm-hmm. And then, and then he tried out for the Green Bay Packers and got cut during preseason, and that's when he he showed up in Louisiana trying to work down there, and then went and came to a Mobile. Did you ever see the old beat-up Mustang he was driving at the time? Not that I know of. 
<laughs> I'm surprised he was able to make the towns in it. <clears throat> but uh Yep, that's where that's that was that was his history, but I tell you what, that for that three or four years that uh he was down there in mid south, boy, he just of course, Watts had a had a hell of a crew down there between him, Lad, Horndorf, DiBiase, Bob Roop, uh, Athens Sika. You know, you know he had he had you know Jake Roberts. Jake Roberts was like opening card, mid card. Uh, Buddy Landell was was still a dark haired baby face. Uh, Jesse, Jesse Barr, guys like that. He just uh, that again goes back to you know you can have the greatest booker in the world, but if you don't have the talent, you gotta have the you know, That's what made Florida so great. I mean, when you look at it, you can pull up an, a, a card, you know, in the in the late '60s, early '70s in Florida, and you see guys opening match that are main event anywhere. I, the, the oddest one I saw, one of the. One of the uh, cards I, I looked at, and I can't remember, I want to say it was from 70, 71, something like that. The opening match, Vern Gagne was in it, and he was the, the AWA world champion at the time. But there he was, opening card in, in uh, Tampa. Isn't that something? Yeah. And Georgia was a lot the same way. When that, when that cable hit, you know, think of all the guys that were in here in 79 and 80. You know, the Freebirds, Austin Idol, Ted DiBiase, you know, Robert Fuller, Ron Fuller, Bob Armstrong, Brad Armstrong, Mephisto, Lewin, Butcher in, in and out, Dusty in, in and out. In the 74, in 74 70, well, 75, 76, <clears throat> the opening matches and the preliminary, the middle of the cards, <clears throat> we had names like Richard Blood. Yep. Became Tito Santana, Ricky Steamboat, Paul Orndorff, Steamboat, Bob Scott Backlund, Ar- Scott Irwin, Bob Backlund. These were these were preliminary guys. Yeah, they were open. They were opening matches. You know, so uh, Jerry you know, we Stubbs. Had, well, yeah, you know, <laughs> you, I mean, you just throw these names in. Uh, you know, when I first came over to Bar, you know, Roger Kirby was here. Uh, yeah, you know, Buddy Colt was here. I mean, it's just, yeah. It, <clears throat> if you got the right kind of talent, it makes Booker look real good. That's what you gotta have. Yeah, you gotta have. And that's that's why it amazes me, and and I, you know, I give him credit and and for being a great booker, not only because he was a childhood hero of mine and a dear friend once I grew up, but Bob Kelly, you know, that territory down there, not that the talent wasn't good, but it wasn't to the level it was at all these other territories. But he would take guys that that had never done anything in, uh, in any other territory, but, you know, prelims and middle of the card, He'd bring them into Mobile and, and you know, put them on top and, and draw money with them. Duke Miller was a was a prime example. Jerry Miller had been all over the country and never never been a star anywhere. He came into Mobile in 73 
and was the top heel and drew money for four years straight. And that's hard to do with anybody. You know, Bobby Shane, the first first territory Bobby Shane ever worked as a heel was in Mobile. But, you know, that territory was so was so small and so limited as far as the the, the well, I'm sure that you know they didn't wasn't the best pay in the world, but uh, you know, well, was it, plus you had to work I mean, they, uh, you had to work in farm centers everywhere. <laughs> What's that? The, the, I mean, the, the the biggest towns they had was I mean, as far as drawing people was Pensacola and Dothan. I mean, uh, Mobile and Dothan, yeah, Dothan. You know, so it was you know for somebody to stay that long. I mean, that's. Somebody had to be doing something right. Yeah. And as as good as Kelly was, sometimes I question Rocky McGuire on his end because he would book some goofy stuff. Plus, he was bad about booking names and, 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 uh, you know, he knew weren't going to be there. But he'd put them on a card or he'd make up something and put on a card and then it'd substitute somebody else with, he always had different people helping him. Rip Tyler helped help Rocky book, and then uh, Billy Hines normally booked Panama City. So it was it was different. I think Billy Spears might have booked Panama City at times, every once in a while too. Didn't uh, Spears had a little town here in Georgia? He he ran, didn't he, Bobby? When I first went to work for Barnett, he was running Waycross. First, when I came to work in November of 74, I made Waycross, Georgia, 19 straight Monday nights. (laughs) And out of that 19 Monday nights I made that town, probably 14 of them, the main event was Roberto Soto and Billy Spears. And they ran the gambit. We did boxing matches, cage matches, chain matches. I mean, you know, it drew everywhere where they worked together. So we just, they exercised that thing till it, till it couldn't do anything else with it. And uh, shortly after that, they decided to quit running it every week. And it, it became a spot show. And Charlie ran where, that what thing. Town like, was oh. it, uh, what town was it where Spears got hit in the eye with the belt buckle? It was after a match with Soto, but I don't remember what town it was. I do not know. You know, he had to wear that eye patch for a while. Did that happen here or in Florida? No, that was in it was in Georgia. I don't know. I don't know when that happened. It may have been Bob because they they started that while they were already into that when when you came over to work for Barnett, weren't they? Yeah, they were already the the feud had been going on for it's that thing started back. That was a Tom product project. They were like on the second match in Atlanta one night, and and got the big double DQ beat referee. Okay, I was, that's think. where all that started. Because he came in, Spears came into Mobile. He'd already been in Mobile one a couple times. He came back in '73 with the patch on his eye. So that that happened. It happened sometime in '73. Well, so he was wasn't wearing the patch thing. when I was working with him in '74. Yeah, so he it had already healed. So that happened, and, and that was a legit thing. He had to wear that patch, and he turned it into a gimmick. He would hide a matchup in there, and he'd pull it out and strike a match and burn people with it. 
But I've I've seen pictures. He was going back. It was after a match with Soto, and he was going back to uh, the dress room, and somebody took a belt and swung it in the buckle, the little prong part of the buckle. Oh, geez. Poked him in the eye. That's hideous. Hmm. Well, Jerry, when you were out in Portland, who was who did Owens just do all the finishers? Or did he have somebody booking for him out there? Well, that was another strange place. <laughs> <laughs> hey, no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not kidding you. It was, of course, Dutch was there. Uh, what Dutch had, I, I don't know. I'm, I always thought the Washington Towns, he had more of a say-so, but, you know, uh when I was in out there, especially when we was in Portland, Don always handled everything. Now, whether that was all his doings or not, I, I don't know. I, I presumed it was. And then when you would go to Elton's towns, he he ran it, and Elton had a drinking problem. You know, he'd be lit. All those town. I know Eugene was his. So I guess you would say. I mean, Don owned everything, but how much he was allowed to get or take or earn, I don't know. And then Dutch had a lot of say so here and there. So it was kind of weird, but it it, it worked. I mean, it they did. You know, they did good. So. Of course, Don never worked. I, did his dad have that in the beginning? Is, I think so. Right? I I think that's how it. I'd have to go back and look because Dean Silverstone put uh, put that history of that territory in his book as far as how Don and, and Elton ended up with it. <clears throat> For some reason, I think that was the case. I, I've heard that. Or, I'm thinking so, too. But I, I couldn't swear to that, but. But it it, it 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 wasn't anything like the Dallas territory. Where it was three different territories. But it was kind of run on a situation kind of like that. Have either one of you guys got the TV on in the background watching this football game? Yeah, but I, mm-hmm. I, I was going to ask you early on, am I seeing what I'm seeing with these uniforms? Or is well, that... I think say, somebody told them these uniforms look good, and, and they believed them. What channel are they on, by they're on NBC Channel 11 in Atlanta. Okay. You can see them, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, they can cut the lights out and you can see them. <coughs> can you imagine... Los Angeles, good Lord. <laughs> Is that Los Angeles wearing those lime green? No, no that's, that's Seattle. Seattle. That's Seattle. Yeah. Now, you know, it's, it's it's a funny thing about how you change a, 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 a head coach. And of course, I can't believe they kept Fisher as long as they did. I mean, I, I, that's the Rams I'm talking about. Yeah. You know, they kept him loose this week or last oh, week. Oh, did they get rid of him this week? Yeah. He's gone. Yeah. Jim Apostle's running it tonight. You know, he used to be in uh, with the Giants. Mm-hmm. But, you know, talking about good bookers or great bookers or whatever, 
could you imagine Nick Saban knowing the business we was in and being a book? Oh, geez. <laughs> you know, that, that, you know, just to get off what we talked about just for a second, but you know, I, I've never seen anybody do what he does year in and year out. I, I don't, I don't know what he tells those guys. What he, I don't know. It has to be. Well, didn't him. They, they just lost another coach after this season, didn't they? One of their, their yeah, the offensive coordinator, Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin. Yeah. Yeah. Where's he? He's I going to Florida Atlantic. Houston, I heard. No, no, he's no he's Florida Atlantic. Florida Atlantic. Atlantic. Yeah. Okay. I think that's I the name of it. It's, that's what it is. It's in Boca Raton. His, so his wife it. must want to lay on the beach. Well, they said if you live in Boca Raton and your wife, th- th- this was said on a radio show, sports radio show. If you, your wife goes to do yoga and comes back hot and sweaty, she was probably with Lane Kiffin that afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> That's the that's that's rumor over there with him at uh, Alabama. So I don't know. That's just what I heard. I don't know. <laughs> Making anything up, just repeating hearsay. But, but you know, I, I would be, <laughs> I wouldn't have hired him for what he did to Tennessee. Yeah. You know, being being an uh, offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator is a different thing than running the whole thing. Yes. Yeah. And one of the guy that's in Georgia now is finding that out, isn't he? Yeah. Because, uh, you know, I give him a little leeway that this is his first year and that wasn't his talent. But in the next couple of years, it should, you know. They'll get better. We'll see. But, you know, you, you take you take Belichick, what a booker he would have been. He'd take nobody and make a star out of him. Yeah. <laughs> well, wasn't that what the bet was on uh, with Barnett and Johnny Weaver? That's he what I he'd heard. take anybody and make, make a star out of him. He said Weaver was putting a ring up somewhere, and he said, I can make a star out of him, and it was a bet between him and somebody else. It, and it's true. Pretty much. You well, you know who, who he learned to work from, don't you? One of the best. Who? Sonny Myers. Who, Weaver? He started, he started out as, he was, he, he, well, he started out as Johnny Ace. Johnny Weaver did. That was his name, Johnny Ace. And then uh, there in Indianapolis, they teamed uh, him and Sonny Myers together, and they were the Myers brothers, and then some places they worked as the Weaver brothers. Let me tell you something. That was a piece of talent. I'm telling you. I Who's heard Ollie talk about Johnny Weaver. Oh, really? He was unbelievable. I never saw him work. Oh, please. I mean, he. He, he, he was unbelievable. Was he just that smooth? Yes, like glass. I guess he's kind of because he always reminded me of Dick Dunn is as far as his body style and everything. Yeah, he didn't have the greatest body, but I'm talking about the working ability. Oh. 
You know, he wasn't a meat chopper. He could work. And Nelson Royal, uh, he didn't get the credit he oh, yeah. deserved. And, and Nelly was a fantastic worker. What a nice man he was. He was a super guy. There was a lot of guys that didn't get the credit they should have. Soto never got the credit he should have gotten, I don't think. Yeah, I agree with you there. There's been so many of them. That's, you know, that they would have guys on top and you just shake your head. But well, that's neither here or there anymore. So. It's amazing. <laughs> You look back at you look back at a lot of the a lot of the guys that, that that came through that I you know that I was in the ring with and and you know they made a lot of money in, in one place but they just never a guy that always impressed me was Don Green. Don Green was a heck of a worker, and he when he was when he was under the hood as one of the infernos here with him and Curtis was working uh, with JC. Uh, you know, he did okay, and then the Infernos left, and then Don came back as a without the hood and worked. And but but you know, he made tons of money. He was on top for years in Tennessee, but uh, he just never got the credit here that that he's never got the push here that he could have got it somewhere else. Well, that's the thing, you know, you don't get that that push like you said. Well, in a lot of cases, and like Don Green's a perfect example. Don Green owned a huge furniture store in in, uh, in Nashville, and I think wrestling was just something he he did just because he enjoyed doing it. He wasn't he wasn't you know making a living off of it, which I guess that's a, that, that would have been a good way to be successful in the wrestling business to not have to make a living at it, just do it yeah. for the fun of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, you could have owned a sawmill or something. <laughs> Just saying, I don't know. You know, I don't know. <coughs> I, I saw an interview that Oli did. Just recently, I don't know how old the interview was. He said Gordon Sully was the worst announce, the worst announcer he had ever heard. He actually said that. He didn't like him. More than one time, he tried to get Barnett to change, and not uh, you know not fly Gordon in every week. And what was the reasoning behind that? I I don't know, I don't know. I know it happened several times. You know, we can save money, we can do this, we can do that. Gordon Soley was synonymous with Georgia Championship Wrestling. Yeah, absolutely. If you, if you were blind and in three rooms away and heard a TV come on with wrestling, you knew it was Gordon Soley. That was, that was mm. I, I was shocked to hear that. Um, you know, I thought he's the one that, when it became what it was, he was an integral part of what it became. I think so too. You know, that's just that was like who was that on Monday Night Football? They got the that comedian joker kind of uh, Miller, oh, Dennis, Dennis Miller. Miller. Yeah, I couldn't believe that. I was in shock. I mean, where's the logic behind that? You know, no sports <laughs> fan bought that at all. <laughs> I mean, that was 
<laughs> I mean, I I just have a hard time. I, I, uh, he didn't last long either, you know. No. You know, they never, you know, Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth that do the games now, they are very good together. They're very knowledgeable. They're very easy to listen to. But, you know, I can remember as a kid when they first, when Monday night first football hit, the phenomenon that it was. But that team they had with, with, uh, Cosell, Don Meredith, Don Meredith, Don Meredith. What, what? Frank Gifford. Oh, Gifford, Gifford, that's right. Yeah. They had Gifford in there. Yeah, I mean, it was. I can remember going to the first Monday night football game they ever, that the Falcons ever played in, played against uh, the Miami Dolphins. And I just, I can remember, it was like going to like to a Hollywood premiere or something. I mean, you just couldn't believe it was happening. They, they were classics. Oh. Classics. Well, I'm just happy that I don't have to listen to Vern Lundquist anymore after doing SEC football. <laughs> you know, I like Lund. I really liked him. I did too. I really did. And that guy that they got with him is not much better. He was a former player. Yeah. Hmm. Well, gentlemen, I'm gonna have to bail. I got a. Well, I think start. we're gonna wrap it up anyway, and uh, All right. hopefully we'll uh, we'll 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 ponder it, and I'll ponder it, and I'll let you guys know whether we're not gonna we'll do a show next do. week. And Bobby, congratulations to you again, sir. Thank Absolutely. you, sir. I appreciate it very much. Well, guys, whether it's next week or the week after that, we'll uh, we'll get together soon and do this again. Hopefully, our uh, our third tire will uh, be with us again after he gets over this surgery. He's he's very optimistic about it, and I'm I'm well, hoping it works well works well for him. Yeah. But anyway, well, just guys, in case we uh, don't get together next week. Merry Christmas, everybody. I, Merry what, Christmas. Whoever's yeah, listening, I hope you, you and you guys too. I hope you have a great Christmas. Sounds great, guys. All righty. All righty. And I'll uh, I'll see you on Saturday, Bobby. Sounds good. Good night, guys. All right. Bye. Good night, everybody. Bye bye. Bye bye. We thank you for listening to this broadcast, a production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network. Stay tuned to GeorgiaWrestlingHistory.com for the latest information on upcoming events and more. As always, we thank you for your continued support.